I started thinking about this passage. You know, I've never preached this passage before. It's a little bit different, right? Some of the, 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 the story in here is just a little bit different. And I, I, um, I got to thinking about it. You know, I was never meant to be here. Like, I turned 40 this year. 40 this year. And it makes you start reflecting. Thank you, Elder Tom. Uh, it makes you start reflecting on life, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, I wasn't supposed to be here 20 years ago. Um, I was supposed to be starting my own ministry. Uh, you may not know this about me. If you're new, here you go. Um, I started preaching when I was 15 years old, 14 years old, 14 years old. That is not okay, all right? There's nobody you want to listen to. And I found an old picture at my family's. That's actually me. That's me. I know you don't believe it. Look at that hair. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is mid-90s. And here's the thing. A lot of you weren't born yet. But, but you missed out on so many great things. Like, shoulder pads were fantastic. That really helped you out in a pinch. Like, when you just couldn't, like, be muscular enough. Uh, those pants, honestly, I think they're back in style somewhere in New York. Probably in Soho or somewhere again today. Um, and, like, the double-breasted suit, right? Like, come on. That's pretty fantastic. I, I know you're jealous right now. All right? So here's the thing. That guy right there had a lot of dreams and ambitions. That's a, that's a Wednesday night at the Northeast Mississippi Worship Center, and they actually let me. They wouldn't let me preach from the pulpit on the stage. They gave me the one down on the floor, okay? And, like, I got up there and did my best uh, Rod Parsley impersonation. If you don't know who that is, then you're in luck. But, like, that's what, I, he was just, he's a guy on TV. So, but that's what's happening there. And, and like, I think I'm pointing at someone, like, yeah, I know, I, I know the business. I know what's about to happen here. Um, got a big old Bible. Anyway, I found that picture. I was at my family's last weekend visiting, and I found that. And at age 15, my ambition in life was to start a ministry called Robin Abity Ministries. Short for, I mean, long for, what's that? Ram, that's right. Ram, Ram, Ram. That's what I want to do with my life, ram. I started thinking about ram, and like, if I would have followed that path, how would it look? Because you got to brand when you have ram, right? Like, and, and I found some people kind of branding out there, I, and I kind of, I was like, maybe I like some of these things. We'll look at them. So I don't know who Russ is, but Russ stole my idea. That's all I know. And so we have uh, Russ Adams Ministries, um, and that's not bad, but you know what? He borrowed from the Los Angeles Rams, didn't he? We all know what's going on there, Russ, all right? You're not fooling us. So that's kind of lazy branding, all right? But let's say if it moved on, next I would have gone to maybe the Ram Network, right? That could have been a thing for me in life, maybe. Uh, maybe my own television show. Those were definitely thoughts I had as a 15-year-old. Uh, some of you are getting scared and like, why did I come to church here? Just <laughs> stick with me, all right? Well, we'll bring it back down in a minute. So Ram Network. And then, of course, at the end of the day, you had to have Ram Worldwide. <laughs> Ram Worldwide, because this, this is going global, y'all, right? Like, I wasn't playing around with that head of hair. Like, I was going places. I was doing things, all right? So you could think about where you were at 15. I'm, I'm getting crazy looks now. <laughs> That's right. And I should, because here's the thing. As funny as all this is... The whole branding epidemic that has been the church for the last 50 years has been one of those crippling things 
for others outside the church that they have to deal with. Like, it's crippling. It's crippling that we have all these personalities that we build all these ministries around and offer all these promises and give all this slick branding to. And we wonder why people are so suspicious of us. And evangelicals are the best at it, aren't we? We're the best at branding. Like, you know, when sometimes you're like, sometimes I go somewhere and I'm like, is this a church? I can't tell if it's a warehouse or if it's just a really cool coffee shop or what exactly. What is happening at this moment here? What am I dealing with? Um, it's just this epidemic, and so many people are turned off by it. They're turned off by it. And more than likely, you're here because like, you're like, yeah, I'm turned off by it as well. Like, I, I get it. And yet, we still do it. We still gravitate towards personalities and presence out there to help give us answers and take all of our fears away and tell us how we can have hope if we just listen to them in these kind of three or five steps. And we find here that as we're journeying through these passages of Paul's missionary journeys, we titled it God Speak, because God Speak is about learning how to talk about God from scratch in a world where the story of Jesus has been hijacked or skewed. That's what God Speak is about. There's a story in here of a God who's so loving that he comes to be with people. And yet that story gets hijacked through all of our unaware ways that we try to brand this God and we make it slick instead of substantive. And I need to talk about that because this is going to be more of a critique. Just, in, just so you know, the critique first and foremost this morning will be towards leaders in the church. But then also the critique is us as a people that say we belong to a church. We have to examine these things. And just so you know, critiquing yourself is one of the most important, healthy things you ever can do. It's important to look at your own life and to be willing to poke holes in it, to let others poke holes in it. You know, no other holy book in the world critiques itself other than the Bible. It's called prophets. You read the prophets and all they do is critique the scriptures and the people saying they're living this out. So sometimes we have to critique ourselves, and a lot of this series so far has kind of been that. So we see here, though, that Paul and Barnabas are at this place called Lystra, and something really interesting happens. They actually are given a platform that they could run with, but they don't. But we still need to kind of look at it and see what does it mean for us to deny these platforms and these brandings that we so easily run to that kind of cheapen this thing that we're doing and how we can offer something more substantive than that brand. So let's just look here. Verse 8, it says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. If you remember something, the world is very tribalized, like it's very tribal at this time in history. You don't have Facebook to tell you what's happening, you know, across the world. Uh, so therefore, there's all these things we know that was happening in Jerusalem and modern-day Palestine, Israel, but word didn't necessarily travel. So they find themselves kind of in the middle of 
of modern-day Turkey, and they're traveling through there and Greece, and they're trying to proclaim this message of Jesus. And they come to this area, a rural area. It's it's a city, but still a smaller area, um, where Greek mythology is what is the center there, and that you have Zeus and Hermes and all these other gods and goddesses. And these people had never really seen power before. And we can look at this and maybe try to critique it, but the truth of the matter is everybody there is intently watching this because they have a person who has never walked, crippled since birth, and all of a sudden Paul says a few words to him and the guy jumps up. And like you're thinking, man, there's some power right there. Now, you know, like if, if there was someone who was maybe uh, impaired or lame here and somebody said to that person, hey, stand up and, and walk, I think you would tend to want to listen to that person who said stand up and walk. That's not, an un, like, that's, that's not a foolish thing to consider there. But all these people see that what Paul is saying, there's some power behind it. And they start gravitating towards him. So here's what happens next. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in their language, the gods have come down to us in human form. We'll come back to that later. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was a chief speaker. And then check this out. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, he finds out about this. So he brings all these bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now we read this and we think, so archaic. These people believing in Zeus and, and things in the sky and that's crazy talk right there. And yet, here we are, right? Like, we're talking about that there is a God who is coming back to be with us. But many times that what's happened in the church, we've tried to maybe brand God as Zeus. I, I won't go there for right now. Listen, so here we find, though, that they're like wanting to bring all these sacrifices. And they want to venerate and platform Paul and Barnabas. These two have answers to our modern-day problems. Our problems of that day for them was, hey, if somebody's lame, they can't get healed, like somebody's going to offer a solution then. Paul just did it. That was a problem we had. We couldn't solve it ourselves. Like these people are dealing with things that like they're looking for solutions for. They see a dilemma. They see somebody who has an answer. And then what's important is they decide to hand over authority to these people and are ready to follow them without question. Now, I just want us to pause for a second and just kind of camp here and think about this. Can we relate to that? Can we relate to having dilemmas in our life and wanting there to be answers to those dilemmas? And if somebody can promise us and give us maybe a path of how we can get there in a few steps, we almost unconsciously go that way and never kind of think for ourselves. It happens every Sunday morning in churches all over the world. It happens every Sunday morning when somebody stands up in front of you, and this is for me. Listen, I've said this before. There's a psychology even behind how we set up churches rows and rows and rows and rows, and you look to the back of the person in front of you, they look to the back of the person in front of them, and they're all staring one direction. 
And it's a, it's a one, it's like a one direction conversation. There's no conversation. Now, we could try it differently one day, maybe so. But even that in itself, like, feeds to the idea that whoever's standing up here, whatever they're saying, it must be true. And I must go with that. Because a person gets published and their books come out, we think that whatever that person publishes and says, that must be true. And if they're on a big platform with lots of people listening to them, whatever they're saying, it must be true. We, as humans, have always been looking for people to follow to give us some answers to our dilemmas. It's just a natural bent. It's this way throughout history. It's never been different. People that are going to offer us and promise us that if we do these three to five things, life will work out for us. And it is the bend in ourselves to have to have answers when things are so confusing and difficult. You know, I've literally had people who, um, who've said to me, I'm not going to be here anymore because I'm given more questions than answers because I need more answers. And I don't look down on that at all. I totally understand that. It, I, I don't look down at all. And, and yet I go, but that's not what's always happening here. We're just trying to live in that, that tension more and more. It's a tendency we all have to want to have all these things resolved because there's so much inside of us for us to deal with. And what tends to happen, I think, unintentionally, of course, is that we're looking for almost like a cult of personality. We're looking for a brand, something to tell us that it's all going to be okay. Now, how many of you, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, ever played Guitar Hero? Yes, more of you, but you're not willing to confess it, right? So... I remember playing Guitar Hero, and there was like all this music I missed, and, uh, and I would start playing these songs. I'm like, this is a great song. Where is this from? It's like, it was from the 80s, Robin. Oh, yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. So there's this one song. I never could get it fully, but I always loved playing it. It was by a band uh, called Living Color. And it's, a, it's a band out of New York back in the 80s. Anybody ever heard of or listened to Living Color? Wow. Okay. I'm, imp I'm impressed. Um, so... I had to put the lyrics of, of this one song they had called Cult of Personality, which was on Guitar Hero, which if anybody still has Guitar Hero, like, call me up. Let's, let's hang out sometime. I would love to come over and we can make peace and break bread. Um, this is the band Living Color, which, by the way, like, are they from the 80s or was that taken yesterday in New York? Like, seriously, right? Nothing new under the sun, y'all, all right? As hip as any of us try to be, it's been there, Okay. So here's the band. just wanted you to see uh, what really cool people look like. And in the back of your bulletin, you can read along with me if you want, or you can just look at these guys while I read it. Look in my eyes, what do you see? The cult of personality. I know your anger. I know your dreams. I've been everything you want to be. I'm the cult of personality. Like Mussolini and Kennedy, I'm the cult of personality. Neon lights, a Nobel Prize. Then a mirror speaks, the reflection lies. You don't have to follow me, only you can set me free. I sell the things you need to be. I'm the smiling face on your TV. I'm the cult of personality. I exploit you, still you love me. I tell you one and one makes three. I'm the cult of personality. Like Joseph Stalin and Gandhi, I'm the cult of personality. 
We're all looking for someone or something to give us answers in life, and we're willing to do it, even at the expense of being willing to think for ourselves and critique that maybe what that person's saying isn't fully true. Um, and churches are the best at this. They're the best at this. It was almost like growing up, I had to move from personality to personality, teacher to teacher, to give me the truths that I needed to hear. And they went, by, they went by lots of different names. They wrote plenty of books. And I constantly wanted to compare myself to them, thinking maybe one day I could get to that place. Like that was always an aspiration for my own life. Scary. That's what was handed to me. That I needed to somehow become like this, this person. And it even happens with brandings of churches as a whole. Like there are churches that will brand themselves that they have the right theology. Or there are churches that will brand themselves that only if people are getting maybe baptized truly then are you doing it the right way. Or there are people that brand themselves that would even say, unless you have your own prayer language, then you're, you're fully getting it there. Um, there are churches that say only if you have these very progressive views, you only have it then. Churches all over. Churches that are constantly trying to sell a bill of goods that we want to, if we're honest, buy into. Because it would really simplify life if just somebody could be right. It really would, wouldn't it? If just one person or one group could just get it all down pat, that would really help us out in a pinch. Because then it'd be like, okay, great then. This is kind of resolved for me. And I don't need to like think any further about it. But what happens is, is that we unintentionally then start saying to others, if you just come here, then you'll be okay. Well, if you just come to hear this person, then you'll be okay. And we end up becoming clones. I heard a, a person I revered a lot years ago say that, um, listen to one voice, become a clone, two voices confused, more than 10 voices, you find your own voice. It's really important that we allow a multiplicity of voices to come into our lives, to help us really think through all the ins and outs of things that we're trying to process and deal with. And I know we don't want to do that. I know that makes things scarier because what if I get the wrong voice in there? Well, you might. And then though you also might just tend to want to center on one and just venerate that person or that place. Listen, this church has been so guilty of this. It was our history for years. That if you just came to hear this one person, things would be okay. It's why two years ago, when so many things started coming apart for us, we had 100 people like that leave the church. Just like that. Because so many people just needed to have one voice. And it's why we intentionally made the decision that we weren't going to go with a, quote, lead pastor. We were still going to need some direction, directional pastor. And it's also why, though, I was like, I'm not preaching more than half in the year. It's why we have multiple voices up here. We keep you guessing on a Sunday. That's on purpose. It's why, personally, I find that uh, when someone's wanting time, it's not because I'm so important, but I'll just say, like, hey, I don't, you'll probably just meet two or three times. That'll be it. Like, I want to be careful because I'm not a place in a source to get all your answers. 
others in this church are. It's why we try our best to have multiple voices around the table that are shaping this congregation. It's why we even vote around that table, around decisions we're trying to make. Because we think it's really important that not one person gets all the pull because we'll unintentionally become a place that if you just come here, this person or get near that thing, then it'll all work out for you. And we're trying our best not to promise something that isn't true. You may not get more clarity being at Christ City. Matter of fact, I guarantee you won't get more clarity being at Christ City. Guarantee you that. Unless you learn to listen to several voices. Unless you learn to let yourself become unniched in an area that you're so determined, I only can hear from those voices. It's like, well, I'll listen to these other people, but only if it really comes from that place. And you know what that place is. We're so scared to think for ourselves. We're so scared to have multiple places to engage with. And yet, we have to learn to do this. We have to learn to break through that because otherwise we become just a brand. Something that's slick and not substantive. Something that just platforms and makes empty promises. And I think they get that here. I think Paul and Barnabas get that. They could have easily been venerated as Zeus and Hermes. I mean, think how good you must be at speaking to be called Hermes, because Hermes was the messenger of Zeus. Zeus would say it. Zeus didn't appear. Zeus didn't have time for that. Hermes did. Hermes would go place to place and communicate the message. Like Paul obviously was gifted. Barnabas obviously had a powerful presence to him. It's clear there. They wouldn't have said these things. They obviously wanted to give over so many things to them and say, the gods have come down to us, and now life is going to be okay. And we find that Paul and Barnabas say, I can't, we can't go there. And by the way, it's not just voices. It's also like ideologies. It's hobbies. It's gurus. It's authors. It's books. It's anything that we get so niched on and say, this is, I finally found it. This will really set you free here. We might not say it that way, but we dish it out that way. So just to be clear, just so you all know, Um, We talk about feelings here, but feelings are not the answer to life. Just so you know. Your therapist can't save you. Just so you know. They definitely can help you, but they can't save you. Like, you can still be a confused and even horrible person and have your feelings. (laughs) Like, those things can happen. Um. Your craft that you enjoy, that you're so determined will kind of like bring life to you, will only leave you hollow and void. Your whole like thing you get on where you go on tilt and like everybody's got to be doing this and everybody's got to see it this way. Whatever that is, I'm not going to name it for you. You know what it is. That will ultimately leave you empty. It's why it's so interesting. You know, we had this group discussion that that uh, Rachel and Jamin put together. It's something that Jamin does every year for the last 10 years on MLK Day. And it's a discussion about him and watching one of his speeches and then some other videos of him. And then people came to that. And it was really great. Um, would encourage you next year, anytime we do those things to come. And one of the things I was thinking about, because they were asking questions like, hey, what's grabbing your attention? What did you kind of have all around And I was thinking about how 
there are these people, there are these spikes in history, these people that, that seem to have gone to the mountaintop and had a really clear vision of what they saw there. I mean, King's mountaintop speech, right? And yet, these are people that realized what they saw was so big, it wasn't something they would brand for themselves. Like Moses didn't come down from the mountain and be like, well, I have a good idea of a religion for myself. No, like he goes up there and he's experiencing something. He brings it down the best he can. Um, we see this even different people in history, whether it's a, a Gandhi or Lincoln and a king, that they kind of come down and they go, I got this thing in my hand, but it's not mine. It's ours. And like, let's interact with it and see what happens. And ideas like that are dangerous because you can't brand that thing. That's not for one person. That's for all people. The danger is when we have one person say, I got this great idea and I came up with it. Ends up being cultish. So the question is this, like, what's the antidote to this? What's the antidote to not being these kind of people and offering these kind of empty goods to those around us? Because I'll tell you something, people don't trust you. I don't care how nice you are. People who are not here, they don't trust you. They don't trust that being here is better than having brunch like in, in Cooper Young, which honestly, I don't know. Anyway, so I'm a pastor. I shouldn't say that. Like, but people don't trust you. They aren't going to be like, you stand around and you sing songs. Somebody talks at you for a little while. Then you like drink some old juice and that bread. I don't, I don't know if I want that bread. Like you're trying to sell, like, I don't know if I want that. Right? And you can all day long try to give them this and go, no, it's great. These people are really cool and whatever else. I mean, for the longest time, it felt like that this church was trying to be some kind of speakeasy here in Memphis. You know, just if you can find us and then kind of get in, you've made it to Hipster Valhalla or something like that, you know? But that's a problem. We're not a brand. But when we get so intent on branding ourselves in that way, People don't want that. Yet they want it, but they don't. Because you know this. Anytime you got those shoes or anytime you got that jacket or anytime you got that thing, you're like, well, that's kind of empty. Because you bought into a brand. Well, I buy into a brand. It happens. So what's the anecdote? Well, I think it shows us next in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I see three things here that they do that I think is important for us to pay attention to. First, it says they heard this. They ran out, and it says they tore their clothes, and they rushed out to the crowd. Um, for a Jewish person, and even an ancient Near Eastern person, to tear your clothes, like, wasn't a fashion statement, right? Um, it was like, I'm repenting of something. Paul and Barnabas were repenting. That's what they were doing. They were running out to the crowd, and they were repenting. 
What? What did they do wrong? Well, I had a professor in college years ago in a preaching class say to me, there's what you communicate and there's what's understood. Now, which one do you think is more important? And we were all thinking because we were young and, you know, we just were like wanting to preach. We're like, well, like what we communicated, obviously, is the most important thing. And the, the, the professor's like, nope. What you, what it's understood is always more important. At that moment, who cares what you communicated? You could tell a person all day long that they heard you wrong. But, like, you're going to have to step into that moment and own it. So always keep that in mind. You know, I, I find even in my own life, I have so many good intentions. I, I, I think I'm a generally good person. I really do. I try my best, but I also am an Enneagram 8, Right? which if you know what that means, it means I hurt people very easily. And I don't mean to. I just can be rough around the edges. And like, it's like, I'm glad to be with someone, but they think I want to hurt them. I'm like, no, I don't want to hurt you. I'm just really into this moment here, you know? And I scare twos away real easily. Like, there's all kinds of things that happen. Um, they own what was mistakenly understood. And they rush out there. And they tear their clothes, and they repent. And I think a critique here that's important is I think a lot of church leaders could do that more often. I think a lot of us in this room don't kind of repent to the culture around us what they're understanding because you don't see your, your leaders do that. And I think that's a really important thing. I think people who stand in front of you and talk about things have to own where they get things wrong. And that's our desire here, and we've definitely done that before, and we'll continue doing that moving forward. It's important that we can own where things are missed. When people come to me and say, this is what it was like for me to be with you, I always do my best to simply say, I'm sorry. I really am sorry. And not, I'm sorry, you misunderstood me. It's manipulation. Simply to go, I'm sorry. What do you need? I think us offering that to culture is a big deal. To simply go, I'm sorry, it's not, that's not really what I meant. I'm so sorry. What do you need? Then we see that they say to them, friends, why are you doing this? It says, we too are only human like you. So they were vulnerable by confessing their sin. And then it says that they confess their humanity. You know, so many times, it's, it's a very young way. I don't mean like young as an age. It's a very low-level, young way to think that once something like works for you, it must work for everybody. And everybody's got to have it. And everybody's got to be in on it. It may just have worked for you for that time. And that's simply it. It may have just been a good word or something encouraging for you. But we tend to then want to, like, present ourselves that we have it all together. We're so good at that as a church. Like, we kind of have it all worked out. We're doing these three things. I'm getting up. I'm reading my Bible. You know, I'm, I'm praying for this long. I'm doing check-ins. I mean, we do all kind of things. Then we kind of say to somebody else, and you should be doing that too. And it'll all work for you. And then we go, like, we become almost less human by trying to always give and push to people what has to work for them because it worked for us. And there's even a veneer that's created there 
where people look at us, they go, I don't know if I can fully relate to you. Are you human? You have it all together. You have this God. You have all these answers. I mean, listen, you get around a person who has all the answers. I mean, that's, that's called a teenager, right? But like outside of that, no offense, teenagers, but you kind of do right now. But like outside of that, right? You realize like, I don't have all the answers. I need a lot of help right now. Um, I think us offering that to people is a big deal to go, I don't know if I'm getting this right or not, but we are humans just like you. People at the end of the day relate to your humanity more than your competency. They relate to you simply showing up and letting them know that you're like them. So they confess, they relate, and then lastly, we see they offer something better than what the others had. And this is kind of the key. You know, it says here, let's just look at it. It says, we're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Turn from things that are empty. We'll put a couple of words up here on the screen for you. It's Matthios and Zeo. Taos is where it says worthless things. And that simply means things that are devoid of power and purpose. This thing that you keep buying into in life, friend, is devoid of power and purpose. And then they give those something else because it says, but turn to living God. Zeo being having vital power in itself and exerting that upon another soul. Now, this is really important. I think one of the problems today for us is that personally, individually, we don't have that living God to always offer people because we're offering people brands. We're offering people ideas, but not truly something that's substantive. And this is where it gets nitty-gritty for you and for me personally. Do you have a faith that works? Or are you just trying to just work a faith? Like, do you actually have something that truly is life-giving? Or are you living off of some kind of yesterday's bread, trying to convince yourself that that stuff is still good and tasty? Because I'll tell you this, you can try all you want to help others realize that what they're buying into is devoid of power and purpose. But if you don't actually have any kind of power and purpose in your life, you're just, and I'm just a shiny brand that has no substance to it. We're just another Instagram story. We're just another eloquent soliloquy on Facebook. We're just one more thing for people to roll their eyes at and move on from. So here's the question. Do you personally have a living God? Do you have something there? Is there stories? Are there landmarks? Are there things you look to? And I don't mean like, and therefore you read your Bible for an hour a day and pray 30 minutes a day. Nope. Plenty of people who do that, and there's not substance to their life. But do you have something real and working? And if you don't, what would it look like for you to go get that? Like, what would it look like for that to be your pearl of great price? Because here's the interesting thing about it. They say the gods that come down to us, and they truly do want the gods to come down to them. And the truth of the matter is, God did come down for us. 
to meet us in vulnerability. And it's almost like we don't know that. Believe that, rehearse that, own that. So what I want us to do this morning is to consider as we come to the table, do you have that in life? And if not, what would it look like for you maybe to even go pray or really like think about what you're taking in your hand there this morning and dipping in, in the wine or juice? Like the reason why we don't talk about this as a memorial is because we believe that we can guarantee you every week exactly when Jesus will be here. And that is when we come to interact with his body and his blood. And to consider maybe in repentance, are there things that you're just kind of branding? And you know, brand being, it doesn't really work for you anymore, but you keep trying to sell it. And do we need, do you need to actually maybe open yourself up to like, maybe I need more than just one voice here. Maybe I need help. Maybe I need to go explore, like, what does it mean to really have something vibrant, something living? So I want to pray, and as I pray, the, the band will come up. Father, we thank you for this time, and we ask now that as we come to your table, we would allow ourselves conviction, where maybe we've been a part of this kind of branding of a, a faith that honestly, um, if it doesn't work for us, why don't we think it works for other people? I pray for those this morning that are here because they're trying to give like this whole church thing another shot, and they've realized that they've fallen into brands before, and it's burned them. And Lord, I pray for those here that are doing their best to stay in this tension where it's not about having just this one thing I'm going to rest everything on. It's going to take away all my fears and worries. But they're trying their best to be in the tension of like, what does it mean to have to show up to church, not just so I can get something from one person, but so I can interact with the living God. And so we bring all these things to you this morning as we come to the table and pray that you would move upon us and show us Help us be needy enough, even if we need prayer. We pray these things in your name. Amen.